Hey, this is Andrew Schlecht from The Athletic. The NBA Finals begins on June 6th, and we have you covered at The Athletic NBA Show. Join us Monday through Friday to hear voices like Zach Harper, David Aldridge, Marcus Thompson, Dave DeFore, Sam Amick, and many more. We will have instant reaction shows after every finals game, plus podcasts to take you behind the scenes in between games. Listen to The Athletic NBA Show wherever you get your podcasts. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Welcome back to Seven Fifty-Five is Real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for the Athletic, and my co-host Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves reliever, who did not get to win five consecutive division titles with the Braves. What's up, Eric? Nothing. I'm starting to really every year that I'm done playing, I'm starting to really enjoy and look forward to the playoffs. Yeah, it's cool. Especially the format this year, man. When it starts with these wildcard games, I got four baseball games on today, man. Same time, I love it, and they're all urgent. There's such an urgency to a best of three. It's yep. much better than a wildcard game, but there's still that extreme urgency because you can't afford to get down 0-1, really. You know, it's got to be like an 85 percent chance of winning the series or higher if after you win that first game. Yeah, unless you're really stacked rotation wise. And if you're really stacked rotation-wise, probably you probably weren't going to be in a wild-card game, you know? You're probably going to be a division winner with one of the two teams in each league with the bye. So, pretty cool. Um, but the Braves, man, they're, 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 you know, they, they took them a while to get rebuilt, and they went through a lull there where the payroll was slashed, and you wondered if they'd ever get back to those 90s glory days. And, man, not only are they back, not only are they back, but they're set up better than ever because – of the revenues they're getting, they're going to keep getting from the battery. And now with the young, with all these young players that Alex has signed up long-term, whereas back in the nineties, they had, that was a constant cycle. They always had to be on top of it yeah. you know, because they were never going to draft real high. So they always had to trade, spend money. Well, these guys are signed up long-term, man. He's got these guys under control. It's they would take, they would take multiple bad injuries for the Braves not to be competitive for the next five, six years. I mean, if you're if you're another GM, you just you hate AA. You're like, how did you get these guys to sign these deals yeah. with all the money coming in? I mean, you, if if you were gonna, you would be getting to the point where you start having to pay Acuna, Albies, Riley's deals. I think kind of fair. You know, it's not crazy bad, but they're going to be able to though. just yeah, it's, he did good. Hey, it's they, good for the, the team, team too. Good. Yeah, yeah, the team did pretty he good. Top side of twenty two million. Yeah. He's going to finish top six or seven in MVP. I mean, he's yeah. a, he's going to be a $30 million player when he's making 22, at least 30, if he keeps hitting 30 to 40 home runs a year and playing good defense. Yes, you, you got those guys signed, and then Harris signs his deal on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. If they get Dansby signed, man, they are gold Locked. for the next yeah. six, six years, eight years, whatever. Um. Just a hell of a weekend with the with the Mets, and then you know the uh, the predictable lull coming out of that. They got in after after beating the Mets, and on a Sunday night game on ESPN, they got into Miami at like four in the morning, five in the morning, and that was a that was a true postseason atmosphere in that Mets series. I mean, it was electric. They were ex- yeah. emotionally exhausted. Been exhausted if they got in on time. So you they know, came the out. Series. 
and they were flat as hell in that game against uh, in that first game against the Marlins, which you which was totally expected. I mean, well, not you go in the flattest atmosphere too. Yeah, I mean, you go from forty two, almost forty three thousand energized crazy fans to. I think the announced attendance was twelve in that first game, and it was probably was eight thousand in a place. Yeah, you could like you could yell who yeah. you want to warm up in the bullpen in that park. Yeah, just yeah. yell it down to the bullpen. <laughs> So they got beat in the first game. They got shut out, and then they come back, and and it's like, okay, now we got two games to get this done. The Mets and and Smith didn't think the the um, the uh, Nationals would lose, or I'm sorry, the Mets would lose against the Nationals. Smith was like, we got we know we got to win this thing because they're yeah. not going to lose after getting swept by the Braves. He knew the Mets were not going to get lose to the Nationals, and so the Braves came out the second game and took care of business. And to their credit, because you did not want to wait and have that push to the last game. No. Then you all of a sudden you have serious pressure. Yeah. So they took care of business and tap, cap tip to the guy that I was, I was shocked when Snit said he was starting Odorizzi when he told us late Monday night to start an Odorizzi Tuesday. Odorizzi pitched great. A lot like yeah, he did he in that St. Louis game. He gave five strong innings, exactly what they needed. Then they turn it over their horses. Cause right now the bullpen is really functioning where they can, they can click off four shutties every time just about i mean the guys they got they've got their four or five guys going right now five guys uh and they did what they're supposed to do which they did all through the Mets series and they did again in that game so Braves are in a really good spot right now uh going into the post going into the division series tuesday against the winner of philly st louis and both of those teams one of the one of those teams that wins is going to have used its best couple of starters in that division series, if not three of their best starters. Yeah, you'd rather. I mean, you definitely want it to go three if you're watching. Um, I don't, I'm trying yeah. to decide who I'd rather play. You made a good point. I mean, Philly has two horses that can pitch with anybody if they're Wheeler locked and in. Nola, yeah, when they're on, man. Something about the Cardinals, though, I just don't – they do – just weird stuff happens for them when you play them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pool hall society. It's, it's, the what the game's there. Uh, fortunately for the Braves, it's going to start here because you don't yeah. want to start in St. Louis because no. they're going to have a great atmosphere there. They're just like they are here. It's going to be Yachty's last postseason, Pujols' last postseason. Wayno's going to come back, but it's going to be a electric atmosphere for those last for those guys' last games. And and Wainwright pitching at at that place. In in if in those other guys last year, this could be atmosphere there. So you're luck, you're fortunate that it's going to uh, start here, and they'll use Wayno here um, if it's if it's the Cardinals. But uh, if I'm the Braves, I think I'd rather have the Cardinals. And if you look what they've done against the Cardinals the last couple of years, they've yeah. kicked the Cardinals' ass. Yeah. So I mean, they've really handled the Cardinals and the Phillies. All it just seems like they always give them fits, although they have played them really well lately. The Phillies just uh, that and playing up there. The, the Phillies just seem to play them tough, man. Yeah, and 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 Wheeler is as good as anybody when he's on. Nola too. So, and, and you know, and you got Bryce Harper, and you got a lineup that's got the the home the National League home run leader in Schwarber at the top of it. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. So, but it's going to be interesting. The the big thing for the Braves is they want it. They did what they had to do against all odds. Nobody picked them, you know, when they were 10 and a half back, when they were still seven back in August, you know, when they fell back, when they got right there and then fell back, that was when I really started to wonder, okay, now the Mets are really going to be hard to overtake. Yeah. It just, it just, for me, it says so much about, so much about the team to be able to, 
like the be that far down, you know, especially after they lost yeah. four or five from the Mets. Yeah. A lot of teams would lose a lot of confidence and the, the team just, I mean, the, I, I thought it was cool. A lot of them were saying, you know, like Minter, I heard say it. A lot of guys said this one feels the best of all the division yeah. titles they've got. That's what they told us, man. All because of, of the obstacle, you know, because of how hard they had to fight to do it. And also just the mindset of we can do this is, you know, that's that's got to be contagious through the team. And it obviously was because they they fought their asses off and came back and won that division against pretty much all odds. Yeah, to a man, every guy I asked said this one was special or this one was the best. And Mentor said this is by far the most impressive of what we've done. And he goes, if you guys look at it, we're going to look back at this and what they did. Coming back from 10 and a half down against a team that won 101 yeah. games. That's yeah. what's incredible. Yeah. Not a team that collapsed. You know, No, it's sweeping them like that, too, to take the, the season series in Atlanta. I mean, it, it just yeah. sent a message for me to that – this team's not intimidated by anything. Those last six games, the Mets only had to win two of them. Yep. They won one of them against the Braves. They only had to go two and four to win the division against the Braves, and they went one and five. I mean, the Braves took it from them. As, as Mentor said, the Mets didn't collapse. We took it from them. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't choke on this. We took it from them. Well, I mean, when's the last time a team got accused of collapsing while winning 101 games? 101 games. They had the same record as the Braves. Yeah. Braves did what they had to do in a year where there's no games in 163. Um, they did what they had to do and won it. And now they're, uh, they're sitting pretty. Uh, the guys, man, they were celebrating in that clubhouse like it was the first one they won. I mean, you could tell how much relief they were that it, they got it done, that they really accomplished. They knew they had really accomplished something. And for a lot of them, it was their first time, obviously. But even the ones that have been five times, Dan's being all those guys, they knew this was special and they weren't going to act like it was no big deal. I mean, they they celebrated. Well, Getting yeah, in, they everybody's best after you win a World yeah. Series. There's a target on your back. Yeah, so what they said. Yeah, they didn't clinch at all. I mean, they didn't celebrate at all after clinching a playoff berth. It was mm-hmm. like, that's nothing. We don't care about that. We knew we were going to get a playoff berth. That's not what we're aiming for. But they celebrated this division title, overcoming the Mets. Yeah, I was interested who was going to start the next day. I thought they picked the perfect guy. Stevens just looks like a dude that could throw down about 40 Miller light and still be ready for a day game the next day. And he did. Yep. And I, if I, yeah, we were talking about that, whether what was higher is ERA or his blood alcohol level. That <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he looks like he's pitched a game or two in his life. Uh, Hungover. Hungover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, was, buzzing. I was like, they need to start either Chavez or Stevens. <laughs> I talked to Chavez that morning, man. <laughs> Let's just say I was glad I was still wearing a mask. It was the only time I was glad that we still had to wear a mask on in the uh, clubhouse. <laughs> he was, yeah, celebrating in Miami, too. Yeah, I yeah. think they stay out in Key Biscayne, which is a good yeah. thing because a lot of guys won't take that half-hour car ride right. to South Beach. But Yeah, they I didn't go thinking, to South Beach, They were at, but they kept that bar open at the, at the uh, Ritz-Carlton till like they were there till like 3, 4 in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I was like, I, I think, you know, I don't like betting against the Braves, but I'm probably going to bet against them tomorrow after they clinch in Miami. If they'd won that game, yeah. They almost did. I mean, yeah. they came back a few times. Yeah, and and uh, Azuna had had a home run, a double that game, three RBIs. He finished strong. He put himself into making at least them have to discuss it and making a postseason roster, which if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I'd have said there's no way he makes a postseason yeah. roster. 
But with what he did in the last 10 days or so, they're going to have to, they're going to consider it depending on the matchups too. A lot's going to depend on the matchups and the Braves have done that for, for this whole run. They've changed things and made some moves that you're like, wow. But because of the matchups, I remember that first series against the Dodgers when they took a couple of the uh, young starters, took a couple of the bullpen guys that had helped get them there, dropped them from the bullpen for that division series, put a couple of starters in because they wanted power arms against the Dodgers in that division series in 18. Didn't help because the Dodgers were so much better. But yeah, but, but still, it, but it set it made the it it, it kind of set the tone for the move, the moves they were going to make in coming years. Getting a lefty bat in against a certain lineup, you know they they've they've made a lot of moves based on who they're going to play. Well, it's you know watching Ozuna, it's it's like when he's locked in, you feel like there's nowhere to go. Like that ball he hit in Miami was yeah. a, felt like it was going to hit him in the belt. He pulled his hands in and kept it fair down the line. He just seems like a guy that, you know, I don't know the mechanics of his swing, but when he gets his swing locked in, he has so much bat speed and power. You know, I mean, I didn't see this coming either, but you definitely got to think about it because when he gets hot, he can carry a lineup. The fact that he's like the 20, the last guy on the roster, if he makes it, that's pretty good. It says something about the Braves' depth. Yeah. Guy that led the majors in home runs and RBI, uh, the National League in home runs and RBIs a couple years ago in the short season. Uh, But anyway, uh, Asking Stitt who he wanted to face in Philly or St. Louis, he was candid after the thing. He goes, I don't care. It's postseason. You know? Yeah. He goes, it, it, both teams, either team's going to give you a fight. But he didn't try to rationalize it. And, you know, he just said, we're going to be ready. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. This break, the Braves are going to get, I mean, because it's a really unusual to have that lull. Yeah. Braves and Dodgers are going to have five days off. Braves are going to have because they're going to have that Gwinnett group going just like they did during the pandemic, where they have the taxi squad working out Gwinnett, and they got they call them the Stay Hot group, and they're going to have a bunch of pitchers there, and several position players as well. So if they could have a rash of injuries, they could have anything ha- happen, and they're going to be set as far as having somebody ready to take over that roster spot if there's an injury. Um, they're going to use those guys in the interim to throw live BP. So. Yep. The hitters got all the live BP they want. They're going to have pitchers that are ready to do it during this break. Uh, they had two days off. Snit told them, stay away from the ballpark Thursday. If you want to come out Friday and throw whatever, that's fine. But I'd rather you not. But if you want to, that's fine. And then Saturday, Sunday, Monday, they're going to work out. They're going to have live VP. Uh, those guys from Gwinnett are going to throw. If Braves pitchers themselves want to throw. Roster guys, if they want to throw live BP, they can too. So, But they're going to have plenty of uh, not sim games, but – Live BP, you know, so you need that. Yeah, they're gonna I face mean, a lot of pitching. I think the biggest obstacles for relievers, um, you know, position players, it's so hard on their body that they really respond well to that day off or two days off. Yeah, you know, they feel fresh. Um, starters are used to having their bullpen day and a couple down days, but for relief pitchers, you know, I was telling Cam before we started, I hated off days. I'd come in after an off day and I'd throw like a 30 pitch bullpen and I'd throw it hard. Yeah. You know, trying to kind of break things up and, and loosen your body back up. Um, I think for relievers, they should definitely, as clo- I would say, as close to the series, too, maybe a day before uh-huh. or two days before, try to throw some, even if it's just 10 pitches live with a hitter in the box. Because um, it's different throwing with a hitter in the box. It's one thing just to throw to a, in the bullpen, different spacing, different setting, no hitter in there. Um, a lot of pitchers kind of use the hitter as a target to aim off of. Yeah, you know, so having that guy stand in the box makes a big difference. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you never get this amount of time off during the season. You get the All Star break. That's it. Yeah, and yeah. you come back from the All Star break, you still got you know two two and a half months to clean up whatever mess you make. Yeah, Metro was saying he hates the All Star break because you're in a groove and you and he hates yeah. taking three game three days off during that. So you know they were going to stay hot. These guys were not going to just sit around and uh, and so I, I'm expecting them to come out ready uh, in that first game. But we'll see. We'll see how it affects them because it's obviously no kind of comparable to. to that they've had in the postseason in the past. Um, the Braves have won more division titles. The division period, the division era started in 69. The Braves have won more division titles now than any other team. They've won 22. The Dodgers and the Yankees have won 20 apiece. And the 22 have come like in a 28, seven, eight year period, something like that. Crazy. Yeah, there's just that short lull from 13 yeah, have, to. Yeah. But they have really had a divisional dynasty. I mean, it started in the West, obviously, but then they moved over to the East and, and started the run they've been on. But they've kind of owned the division. It yeah. hasn't resulted in a whole lot of World Series, but, you know, they've won two, which is, uh, you know, winning that second one kind of got the monkey off their backs as far as that's concerned. But uh, they got, you know, <laughs> I, I would I would have looked at the history and thought, you know, coming in the season, the, the odds were not in their favor, especially with the Dodgers as powerful as they've been all season. But given the injuries that the Dodgers have had, their starting pitching being what it is, I think the Braves have got a legit good, good shot to repeat as world as world series champion. And if they accomplish that, that hasn't been done since 2000, man, when the Yankees won it 98, 99, 2000, three in a row, nobody has repeated since. And that's how difficult it is to win the world series. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how difficult it is to win the World Series, man. I mean, it is hard to do in a 162 game season because you got to have a lot of luck. You got to be deep. You got to avoid major injuries. I mean, that being the luck. So it takes a lot, man. And you got to stay, you got to keep the team on the same page. And that's where having a great chemistry really has been uh, just not just uh, helpful for the Braves, but absolutely critical for the Braves. Oh, yeah. I, I just don't think – I don't think Snit will ever get the credit he deserves. But for me, you know, being 10 games back in the division and coming back and winning it, I know he's got a great team. But to just, just – like the mindset in the clubhouse that that he creates, you know, the, the environment he creates being a manager, never putting too much pressure on the guys, always believing in them, just steady Eddie, you know, every day. Um, not, not a lot of managers – and, you know, it's impossible to compare because you never get to – try it with two different managers, but not a lot of managers are managing a team down 10 games and coming back like that the year after you won a world series. Yep. And, and then you get off to the world series hangover start 23 and 27, whatever you want to call it, whatever the reason, but that was a bad start. And at that point, nobody would have told you, nobody would have said they believe the Braves are going to win the world series when they were 23 and 27 at the end of May. It just did not look in the cards because the Mets were off to a huge start. Yep. Ten and a half game lead at the end of May. I mean, nobody would have thought the Braves were going to do it. And Snip meets with them on June 1st in the morning for the series finale at Arizona. We all talked about it by now. But didn't yell, didn't throw over the food spread, just said, look, you're the Atlanta Braves. You're the defending World Series champions who need to start playing like it because we're yep. not, you know. It's not that you're not trying hard. It's not like you're playing hard, but you're doing stupid. You're playing stupid baseball. They weren't playing, you're not playing, playing smart. baseball. Yeah, you're running yourselves out of innings. You're doing stupid things. You're not having a good approach at the plate. You're trying. It's not that you're not playing hard. You're just not playing smart. And they kind of said, you know, we all knew it, 
But as Dansby says, sometimes it takes somebody out, somebody to tell you that and remind you of that. And then you all go, you know, he's right. And you kind of get, you kind of get on the same page, Dan, and go, okay, let's start from this day yep. playing better baseball. And they really did. It was noticeable like, like that. They went from running themselves out of a couple of innings and in that really bad loss at Arizona to starting that day a series finale when they began a 14 game winning streak, which turned their season around completely. Different team, different team. And then you had Harris in center field. You know, that's that streak started like his fourth game up, and he was just huge. And Strider moving over from the bullpen to rotation because they were like one and 10 from the fifth spot in the rotation before he moved over there. And that just changed everything when he moved over there as far as having five guys locked in rest of yeah. the year. Didn't have to keep moving guys up from the minors like he did a year before. So just a lot of things, but they ended up getting on the same page and they were relentless chasing the Mets from that point. The Mets had to feel the whole season like, my God, these guys don't lose, man. Yeah. Well, that's what we talked about a lot was, you know, what's more frustrating is, you know, trying to chase a team down that won't lose. Yeah. Or this team that just will not stop nipping at your heels. Right. And you coming up slowly on you. Just creeping on you. Just can't just can't shake them. And you could see that for me, I could tell game one of that um, Met series. I could see their players feeling the pressure. You could see them throwing their bats, yelling fuck, you know, just you could see the pressure they were feeling. I could see it on the field for the first time and the Braves look calm. Like we've been here before we played in these big series. And that was kind of my, you know, that yeah. was what I wanted to see as, as September kind of developed was how were the Mets going to handle the pressure of being a game or two up and having to play these guys. And they hadn't, you know, a lot of those guys haven't been in the playoffs yet and they hadn't played in a series that big. And that series had to feel like the playoffs. I bet it was loud. Oh my God. It was like the world series in there. It was so loud. Yeah. And I wanted to see how DeGrom did because he'd obviously had uh, three three starts where he was very mediocre at best. And uh, I wanted to see if he could just flip the switch like everybody seemed to think he would when it mattered, and he didn't. So, I mean, it's the guy that's only made four postseason starts, and he's just obviously the blister or whatever it's been has, has, has affected him because he's got a six ERA in his last four starts. And without him out there putting up zeros and just dominating – that team behind him didn't have the same feel because I knew they, I know they feel like they're unbeatable when he's on the mound and they should. And he's still, he's got no hit stuff going because they feel like all he needs to do is score a couple of runs. Well, yeah. And that's so much less pressure. You know, we just got to squeeze a couple across versus shit. He just gave up back to back homers. Yeah. Might not have it today. We've got to get going. You know, pressure is everything in baseball. Yeah. When the Braves hit those two homers off of him, it's like, okay, we, we know this, this momentum has completely shifted now to the Braves and they're at home and this place is packed and it's going to be packed for all three of these games. And it's like, it just had a different, the whole thing felt like it shifted then. Then it was like, okay, now the Braves are the favorites, man. Yeah. And, and crowd makes such a difference too. You know, like if you come into a game like that and you're a relief pitcher and you throw ball one and the stadium explodes, yeah, you know, that just amplifies the feeling of, you know, shit, I'm behind in the count. Everything that doesn't go your way when the crowd gets loud you know, it's impossible to ignore. All right, things aren't going my way right now. And it, that's just a separate test that until you've been in those environments, you know, staying calm in them and, and keeping your same thought process, the crowd can take you out of that. Yeah. 
And it wasn't like the year before when uh, Wash had his great quote about, you know, told me it, it was asses and elbows. They let us, they hung around. Those teams let us hang around. Nobody would, nobody would pull away. And once we passed them, it was asses and elbows. They they weren't going to catch us after that. That's on T-shirts, by the way. Some players wear it. Is it? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I saw Ozzy wearing one the other day. It said elbows on the back of it. <laughs> um, but this year, like Snit said, what made this one so gratifying was there was a there wasn't a team that was trying to give it to them. There was a team that was trying to run away with it. The Mets yep. were were playing good baseball and trying to run away with it, and the Braves wouldn't let them. The Braves are going to like, all right, we'll play better baseball then. The Braves had the best record in the majors since June 1. And remember, the Dodgers won 111 games this yeah. year. And the Braves had the best record by a half game over the Dodgers since June 1. I got to check that again. And maybe that next to last game changed that. But they did. After winning their 100th game and clinching that night, they passed the Dodgers as the best record since June 1. It's pretty that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. When you consider they were 23 and 27 before that. Yeah, that was before they got two heavy hitters. So they, you know, Strider going in the rotation and and Harris getting called up. I mean that those that changed the whole team. Yeah, and then and then you had guys that just picked up the slack. You never had the lineup really going as one like you did last year when they just hammered teams. They just beat the hell out of teams last yep. year. They scored seven, eight runs. This year it was more like you had three, maybe four guys going at once, but you always had a couple of guys slumping. Yeah, and. um that made it even more impressive because they the, the every, it was everybody. It was somebody different every night. But they had to have good pitching. They had to have all facets of the game going this year to pull this off, and they really did. I mean, they had the pitching. The starting pitching was so strong during the best – during all their good streaks. The starting pitching was outstanding. And the bullpen overcame some, some injuries, some guys that didn't match last year. Matzik's not nearly the pitcher he was a year ago when he was such a key part. But they had other guys step up. And really has been huge. Huge. Chavez getting him back was huge. McHugh all year. To me, he's the unsung hero. Yeah. Arguably the most valuable member of the pen, even if his numbers didn't have the strikeouts some other guys do. But he's been huge for that bullpen, man. All year. Dylan Lee. Dylan Dylan Lee. Lee, Yeah. I mean, he doesn't get a lot of uh, love. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty good. I was asking mentor about Dylan Lee, man. I mean, he's a rookie. He's a rookie, and he stepped up. And he goes, you know, he doesn't have that super sexy stuff. He goes, but I love watching that guy pitch. He just goes out there, throws strikes, says, here it is, hit it if you want to hit it. Yeah. But he's, he's just, aggressive. Yeah. He's just fearless out there. Even though he doesn't throw 98, he goes out there and he's a pitcher, man. Yeah, it's it's crazy what – you know, it's so much of it's confidence, but – it's crazy what the hitters feel when you just attack them. You know, like you got a lefty coming in, he's throwing 91, 92. Hitters go up, they think they're going to do damage, and you pump a first pitch fastball in on the black. Uh huh. You know, they're like, shit, this guy's not, he's not afraid of me. You know, and yeah. that's kind of how he pitches. He attacks them. Now that you're down 0 1, he's got a good breaking ball, he's got a really good slider, and he pitches from there. But for me, he was really impressive. He just doesn't, like you said, he doesn't do it in a sexy way where he comes in throwing 99, and you're going to see the replay of it. He's right. not fist pumping and, and jumping around after a big situation. He just walks off zero emotion, which for me, you know, I always thought a lot of times when guys are doing the crazy fist pumping and stuff, especially yeah. when I did, it was yeah. when I was doubting myself and I'm like, shit, I got out of it. And then you're fist pumping. He right. comes in so confident and he just makes pitches and walks off the mound. Yeah. Cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah. He's just emotionless. He, whether he's in trouble or he's doing something great, he hardly ever shows any emotion. 
Yeah, and you're not going to see the pitching ninja do the overlay on his stuff. No, <laughs> it's pretty you know? boring. Yeah, it's pretty boring. <laughs> he's just effective, and the guy every bullpen's got to have guys like that, man. And he's that guy. Yeah. He and McHugh, and McHugh obviously just can spin the hell out. He of the can ball. spin it. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and he's not intimidated either. He- Hitters must see him walk out there and go if they don't know him, you know. But by now, his reputation is established. They know what he's going. He's going to spin the ball, but just physically. He's the least imposing pitcher in the major yeah. leagues, man. Yeah. This guy's 170 pounds, six feet one. Just looks like, okay, what? There's nothing there. You yeah. know, skinny arms, noodle arms. Built like a substitute on, teacher. Yeah. And then he gets <laughs> on the mound. It's like, holy shit, dude. Fearless and spins the ball. And he's so smart. He's so smart. He can outthink any hitter. Yeah. And he's, he's the kind of smart that you want to be. You know, like we always right. say in baseball, you either want to be a dumbass that doesn't, you know, fully understand the yeah. risk reward of everything going on and can just stay yourself. Yeah. Or you want to be so smart that you can talk yourself into a good state of mind. And he seems like that for me. Like he knows if he makes a good pitch, he's going to get out of it. Yeah. He knows what his strengths are. He comes in calm. I think, you know, with his spin, I just, you know, you can have seen it a month ago or two weeks ago, but it's one of those pitches, the, the way he's able to spin the ball on the break is something that, it, pro- it probably sneaks up on hitters and surprises them every time just yeah. how much the ball moves yeah. and how tight it is. Because he's not throwing it that hard, man. And it's just like, wow, how does he do this? But then you look at the spin rates and the location. I mean, he doesn't yeah, miss he much dots at all. That, that slider, he, he puts it right where he needs to. Yeah, and he can have one bad outing. Once in a while, he'll have one. And he's it, and he's so confident, and he's done it so much now, and he's overcome so many obstacles. This is a guy like Jackson Stevens that pitched down in Venezuela in the winter ball in winter ball. I mean, he paid his dues to get here, yeah. and now he's so established. He's pitched on championship teams, been to the World Series before uh, with other teams, and he comes in and he's like he doesn't get affected by a bad outing or whatever, or a team slumping or whatever. He's just one of those perfect guys that fits into that club, into that uh, bullpen. Which the bullpen for years, we've talked about this last year. They had great chemistry, and then they maintained that even with like Luke Jackson injured, and even with uh, losing uh, Will Smith was a huge part of that chemistry wise with him leaving. Um, and they've just been able to pump other guys in there and maintain it. And Darren O'Day, another integral part of the cl- of the chemistry, like the leader of that of that bullpen, him being hurt most of the year. And they still found a way to keep it going, that vibe going. And uh, Chavez was a big part of that. And then they were smart enough to, during a couple of critical road trips, took Luke Jackson on the road, even though he was on the, out with Tommy John, which they never do. If a guy can't go, there's no chance he's going to come back during that series. They don't normally take him. It's team policy. They took him because of that, just because of the vibe. And they've kept Darren O'Day there the whole time. He's not coming back this year, but he's been he's there every day in uniform working out. Going out yeah. in the bullpen. So you they can really pass the forward. torch with that stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like you set the tone. Here's how we behave down here. Here's how we think. Kind of like what happened with Freddie passing it kind of on to Dansby. Uh, you know, it's, it, you're always worried about losing too many of these guys that, that right. pass that, you know, kind of team mentality on. But once you're around it enough, you know, Minter's got that in him now. He knows how to think. He knows oh, what yeah. works. He knows how to be. And you pass that on and – it's crazy how it just – you can walk into some teams or bullpens or situations and, you know, everybody's a turd. And you start thinking like a right. turd. But if you're around guys that have that strong mindset, they have a bad game, you see them out there working the next day, they're acting the same, 
you kind of look at them like, oh, shit, that guy's got six years and having a real, maybe I should act like that. You're around guys that act like turds and they're pouting the next day and they're down and they're talking about their bad outing. And, you know, why, why the manager bring me in in this situation? I shouldn't have to pitch. That shit is so contagious and it can go either way. But I think what this team has is just they've had enough guys each year that are like repeat guys that yep. that mindset's just able to stay. And it's why it's a team where you see a guy like Chavez goes to the Angels, struggles, comes yep. back. He's at home now. He's comfortable. He's confident. And confidence is everything. Guys, let's take a quick break and then we'll finish up the show. I will uh, gladly concede that once again I was wrong in saying that Snit needed to change closers in mid-September because once again his like closer has, his closer it is is exactly uh, he started it a little bit earlier than Will Smith did last year Will was like the last week of the regular season and Kenley started a couple weeks ago he had that outing where he loaded the bases against the Mets but got out of it but yep. other than that this guy has been almost perfect Going back to that uh, Giants series on the road, going back to the end of that road trip, he blew the save in Seattle. Huge game in that game that we thought, oh, this was going to cost him. That was a game they had to win. When they came back in the ninth inning, yeah. then he blows it, and you're like, oh, the they wins got that it just change. give you so much momentum, too. Right, and I thought that's when they went. I'm like, they can't afford to keep him in the spot because he's choking in these huge games. And I was dead wrong. I mean, he's just responded so huge since then, since that game. His last 11 games, Kenley Jansen, 11 appearances, 11 innings, five hits, one run, three walks, 16 strikeouts, an 082 ERA, 132 opponents batting average, 214 opponents on base percentage, 132 opponents slugging, and 346 opponents OPS. He's been yeah, he's been his cutter looks entirely different now. I mean, it looks so much sharper. If you go back to that Seattle series, he got beat on a sinker and a uh-huh. curveball. And I was watching that like, wow, he he his cutters, he has no confidence in his cutter right now if he's willing to get beat on those two pitches, right? And for whatever reason, he you know, something mechanical he had to fix. And that's why it's so important to let guys work through it so he can right. find the cutter and test it in a game. And, you know, I just think about if, if Snit yanks him with the bases loaded against the Mets. Yeah. If he yanks him, which which a lot of managers would would be tempted yeah. to do. Yeah. He sticks with his guy. And it's so hard because if he doesn't yank him, yeah. you know, Snit's an idiot. What's yeah. he doing? Obviously, we all saw this coming. But he, he doesn't yeah. get to find out that he got his cutter back. Yeah. He doesn't get to find out that what he's doing is working and he's locked in. And I mean, if you've watched the swings, I always watch are when he throws a, a cutter right down to the middle to a righty and they swing under it five inches. Yeah. That's when, you know, his movement is just locked in and he's barely been throwing those other pitches now because he's got his cutter back, but he lost it and he didn't know what to do for, you know, a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That's what separates me to me. That's what separates a really special manager from a good manager that no, makes the right moves you know, follows the analytics, goes by his gut sometimes, whatever. To have the balls that Snit does balls. and the loyalty, he's got huge <laughs> he balls. He has balls. And he sticks because he doesn't give a shit he what people say. He's like, I'm riding with this guy. And he doesn't even hesitate, you know. He leaves him in there. And if that that, that one pitch, that game could have been over. The bases are loaded. And it's like, why did you leave him in there? But Snit's like, I'm sticking with my guy. 
He's yeah, you're playing the Cardinals today, <laughs> you know, or or yep. Phillies. You're playing or in the wild card game. Instead, instead of losing Kenley that day, which he probably would have, because when the Dodgers moved him out of that closer role for the postseason, you know, he didn't really end up finishing the World Series. He didn't, and they won it. But he he was, for all intents and purposes, done there, you know, and. And then he lost a closer job there again when he blew three saves in the middle of the season last year, I think it was. But for a while, he lost it. But Snit has stuck with him through the whole thing. And right now, Kenley's pitching like yeah, almost Pete Kenley. Not 98-mile-an-hour cutters. No, it's the movement. Nasty. Yeah. It's all about the life on that cutter. When that thing's when that thing's locked in, he's hiding the ball, and he gets the extension he gets. The movement's so late. You know, I remember asking um, Adrian Beltre my first season with Seattle. I, I He – I was talking to him, him and Raul Ibanez, and it, they were talking about how nasty Mariano Rivera is. Yeah. And I'm seeing Mariano. He's, you know, he's getting into his 30s, and he's not throwing 98. He's throwing 93, and guys just can't hit right. this pitch. And I said to him, I was like, why don't you just swing where it's going to be? You know, like, you know he's throwing a cutter. Just just swing off to the right, you know, and, right. and on top of it a little bit. And they were like, your eyes just can't track it. Like, he's, he's like, there's – when that – the He's like the timing of when that ball moves and when you go to swing is yeah. perfectly synced up to where we can't just like your eyes won't let you assume where the ball is going to be. You have to track it, but it's too deep when it moves to track it. And that's what I see with Kenley a lot of times is like he I saw him throw a, a cutter right down the middle to Canna and yeah. Canna swings under it by this much, you know, two, three inches. His eyes just can't track what that ball is going to do. And I think with Kenley's extension, you know how 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 far he's able to reach out. That break just happens late enough that it's a combo for hitters that they just can't like their eyes can't track the ball and put the barrel on it. Yeah. So he sticks with him as you pointed out at the time when I was saying they needed to change closers. But you like the problem is if you change closers, Kenley's one of your high leverage guys. You lose one of your high leverage buys basically because you can't stick him in the seventh inning and just know that he's going to pitch well there. This yep. is a guy that is so he's done this for. Over a decade, pitch yep. the closer. That's what he does, yep. and he's so comfortable there. You can't get him up, sit him down, right? Bring him in for a hitter one day, have him go an inning the next. Like it closer rolls, it's so pretty you, comfy. So you basically lose one of your five, four or five high le- four le- high leverage guys if you make that move. You lose Kenley. Basically, you're done with him, and then you're juggling between: Do I is Iglesias the closer now, or is is it matchups? Him and Mentor. Iglesias is a closer this year with the Angels was not that good. He had a couple times where he inherited three runners and let them all in. Yep. Iglesias as a setup guy this year with that with that pressure off of him comes over here. He's just one of the great one of the high leverage guys, but a setup guy has excelled, has thrived. Oh, he's been unreal. He he's doesn't miss a glove. And I'm not saying that's his role going forward because I'm sure he's going to be the closer. But this has been perfect for him. And now Snitz loves being able to have the, and this has been a slowly evolution over the season, but now he's got that bullpen exactly where it was going into last year, where he's got his scripted almost sixth, yep. seventh, eighth, ninth inning, or seventh, eighth, ninth inning. If a guy, if the pit starter can go six, but if the starter only goes five, which happens a lot in the postseason, he's they're okay. Yeah. McHugh, Iglesias, Mentor, Kenley. You know, yeah, well, he, you can use guys for an inning in the third in the postseason. You know, you can, you can extend right. them a little bit. It's going to be harder without the off days. Right. But you can do that. And you've got McHugh and Mentor can both go. McHugh especially can go more than one inning. Then you got Dylan Lee you can stick in there at any time. you got Jackson Stevens can eat a couple innings if you need him. 
So they're yeah. like, and we didn't even mention Matic because he hasn't been nearly what he was last year. He's just walking too many guys. Yeah, he's throwing 93, 94 too. Right. He's not right. throwing 99. Right, exactly. And he's not humped it up as the game's gotten bigger. So they got, you know what? Matic laid it all out there last year. That arm, I mean, he pitched oh, yeah. a hell of a lot of high-pressure innings last year. Whatever he does going forward, he is never going to be less than a postseason hero for the Braves. What he did last postseason, and he might be great again next year. This might have just been a year where he's got to get that his arm shot from last year. You know, I mean, it it's, might it's be- crazy. You know, you you pitch like that, you yeah. throw. I mean, he's throwing every single day. It feels like in the postseason last year, and you right. do that. Not only are you extending your season, or not only are you pitching that much that yeah. often with that much stress yeah. and bringing and huge, that much and you extend your season an extra month. You know, he hadn't been in the playoffs before. No, nah, this is a guy that was out of baseball out of the major yeah. for like two, three years. I mean, and yeah. he was, and he came up huge emotionally a game after game after game. I mean, the biggest innings the Braves had last postseason, Matzik had like half of them, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, this is almost like the, okay, you get a mulligan on this year. But in the meantime, we got these other guys, and Snit hasn't. He gave him every opportunity to reestablish himself after the injury. That was the other thing. He just hadn't been the same after coming back from that injury. You know, no. the, the impingement. If, if we're probably going to find out after the postseason's over that it was still bothering him. Yeah, you know, the impingement yeah. in there. So, but Snit gave him every opportunity to reestablish at that. But at a certain point, Snit made that decision without saying so. Stopped using Matzik in those high and and got because he's like now I got to establish my bullpen going into these huge games against the Mets in a postseason. I got to get my guys in order and he's got them in order. So well, they talked about that circle of trust, right? Yeah. I heard AA talking about yeah. that, and it's like the thing I admire is it takes it takes some managers like two bad games and you're out of the circle of trust, right? That adds so much pressure as a reliever. It's like I come into a game if I give one up here. I might not pitch for a week. Right. Then you don't pitch for a week. You're sitting on a bad outing for a week. You come in that next one, your confidence is down. I'm the guy that sucks now. Yeah. For Snit, his circle of trust, I mean, you got to grind to get your way out of that thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, he sticks with his guys. And like we talked about, it's not easy because you, it's funny to me. You know, people will criticize Snit and just think he's a moron for a move he makes with the bullpen. Right. But he's not thinking about just today. He's thinking about how big this guy is for me you know, in September, in the postseason. Always. And if I can get him back, how much more valuable he is for that run than, than maybe we lose today. But he's got to get his answers, and he gives guys every chance to work their way out of it. And it's just – it's crazy what one good game will do. You know, if you're kind of scuffling as a reliever and you get brought in, Bobby Cox was the king of this. Anytime I had a bad game, Bobby brought me in the next day against the nine-hole lefty with two outs and a runner on first. You just flip some sliders, strike them out. And you're like, okay, I'm back. I figured yeah. it out. You didn't figure shit out. You, he just puts you in a sit. He just threw yeah. you an alley oop. You know, you're in this layup position of I. You know, I have to suck for anything to go wrong. All you got to do is come into that game to be okay. Yeah. Now your confidence is back. Now, whenever you pitch again, you're coming off a good outing, and you're confident. When you, if Bobby would have taken me and not pitched me for a week after every bad game I had, I probably would have had a three year career. But yeah. that confidence he he showed in me, and then put me in a situation to succeed the next time out. Every you you wind up you're always sitting on good outings. You know mentally that's that's so much better for you than struggling, yanked, and not pitching again. And you can feel that you know when when your situation comes up the next day and you're like, oh, this is all me. That's what he uses me for. And the phone doesn't ring, or the guy that just call, 
called up from AAA gets the shot that quick. It's like when you yeah. when a manager can lose trust in you that quick, you can lose confidence in yourself just as fast. And Snit learned everything he learned about managing at yep. Bobby's knee. I mean, that's yep. that's his mentor. So he so the big the big pieces that we talk about. Sure, the game's changed, and and Snit has Snit uses so much more analytics because that's part of the game now. Bobby would have just like get that fucking shit out of here. Yep. Snit understands that's part of you got to do it, but. The the overall approach to managing the people part of it, which is the most important part. It's everything. He got all that from Bobby. So, and I think that's what separates. Sure, there are smarter managers, analytically smarter that know more. That, you know that can than Snit, but there are no more street smart managers than Snit. What he's learned from from four and a half decades in every level of the minor leagues, every type of ball player, every type of person. He knows every type of person and how to deal with them. And he and the front office them. lets him do it. And yeah, that's the other part of that is you got to have that attitude, which either you got to have so much gravitas as a manager that you're not going to get fired, you know, like a, like a Joe Madden during his peak years or whatever, yep. or, or Bobby, obviously. Um, and there's a Bochi, you know, during, you, know, you, you could so Leland. much gravitas Leland that you can do whatever the hell you want and have yep. a bad straight. It doesn't matter. Cause you're the guy. You know, they're going to fire the GM before they fire you. Or In Snit's case, he's, he acquired that, but it was more also he came in with that, I don't give a shit. If they fire me tomorrow, <laughs> I'm ready to retire or go home. I love this. Yeah. I'm a lifer. I'll go back to AAA, whatever they want me to do in the organization, or I'll walk away. It doesn't matter. That's how he came into it. Wanting to win bad, badly, because he's never experienced it as a manager. But at the same time, not beholden to anybody and not willing to, to, to do what the fans want him to do or what, you know, he's not worried about being criticized. He doesn't manage to answer questions. He doesn't give a shit. No, he doesn't. And he you could tell what we think he doesn't care what the fans think. He doesn't care what we're going to ask him afterwards. Cause he's like, I don't have time to worry about that. I'm worried about this team and my guys. And I know what they need from me. That's yeah, all he cares it, about. You see it, you know, like I saw Aaron Boone slamming on the table, get, you know, like really frustrated. That's pressure created outside the clubhouse. Right. And there's, there's a lot of people that players too, that say, I don't read the papers. I don't pay attention to any of that. I've never believed anybody more when they say they don't give a shit what's being said outside the clubhouse. And Schnitt does, he doesn't care. care. It's like Bobby, Bobby, you could write anything about him. Say it next day you came in. Hey, no idea what you wrote about him. Snit more so. Yeah, and there's more care. written now. There's Twitter yeah. and, everything, and Snit doesn't care. I don't think no. he sees it. His wife might bring no, he doesn't. attention, but he doesn't. he doesn't see it. He doesn't, he doesn't care. He doesn't care, man. <laughs> he He's so locked care. into his team. It's his team and it's his grandkids and it's his yep. wife and pretty much nothing else matters, man. It's and that's life. the only way you'd be able to manage the way he does and do, you know, some of the moves, even my last cup, my last year I was playing for him. He bring me into situations. I was like, "What's this dude doing?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, Odorizzi? Are you kidding yeah, me? Nobody but, would have picked Odorizzi to start that no, game. We're like, if, really? When he said what it, happened? when he said it, I mumbled. And we're, we're talking to him, and I, I mumbled to Justin Toscano. He tell you, I went, <laughs> "What the?" Well, I was like that while while Snit was still talking. You know, I thought, "What are you doing?" If he goes out and shits the bed, you're going to look like and he, he doesn't care. He, he knew he had a feeling. Yep. And Odorizzi responded with his best start since August. 
and why, you know, like how about that confidence that manager puts in you after watching you struggle? Yeah. You know, I've seen some older Rizzi's interviews. You could tell he's searching and not, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. you could see it in his eyes. Like cracking, how frustrated he cracking. is. Yeah. I mean, he's crushed. Manager says, you got this. <laughs> Fuck it. Maybe I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let me, let me just go pitch my ass off. Whatever happens, happens. But that's, that's what I talk about of that, that mindset being contagious one way or the other. You yeah. Know, you have managers that, you have one bad game. You walk by him in the hallway the next day. I had a manager. He duck into a broom closet not to look at you and not to talk to you. Any, you could see him looking for a different route to go. And you guys were coming down a long hallway. Yeah. Oh shit! I forgot something. Walk back to his office. <laughs> I mean, you can read that as a player. You can see. You know. I mean, there was a manager I played for that he would go out in the outfield and he did it for the media to see. But he'd go out in the outfield and talk to all the players. Yeah. You know, it was always on camera pregame. There was there he was out there talking to the right fielder, left fielder. He'd come out to the right field. You know, you'd be shagging in right center. He'd be talking to second baseman a minute, work his yeah. way out to right field. And it's like, all right, the natural progression here is around the outfield and back to the infield. He'd duck in, talk to the shortstop, and then go back out to center yeah. field just so he didn't have to talk to you. That's funny, man. You know, I mean, it just reinforces that you're sucking right now. Right. Now, having said all that, I mean, if, if Smith is the guy he is, you know, and, and he doesn't have the players that he does, this doesn't work. Right. But they got good players, man. Yeah. And they got good guys that are good guys, and they have melded together, and they've responded. Because if they had a couple of pricks on this team that Snit says doesn't make certain moves or whatever, they'd be rolling their eyes too, going, what the hell is he doing? They don't. They believe in him. He believes in them. They got the right. They got the right players for this manager and the right coaches too. We've talked about that. They got a great coaching staff, man. I mean, Cranny's yeah. got a good feel for his pitchers. Walt Weiss is great in the bench. Uh, Wash is invaluable. You know, other teams have have totally screwed the the pooch not hiring Wash to manage, but the Braves are fortunate they have it. Same thing with Walt Weiss, man. Somebody should have hired him to manage after he left Colorado. They didn't, and the Braves have benefited from it. They've had these all these minds that should be. Managing teams are in there with Snit, and Snit delegates to them and lets them coach. Yep, he doesn't. He doesn't bigfoot them. He lets them coach. He knows they've been there. They they played and all that. Snit didn't in the majors, and he understands that. And he said they're rock stars. He calls his coaches rock stars. Totally appreciates. Yep, them. that was so. the first thing Snit said that that year he took over was. I mean, he led off with you know a couple things, and then he said, "I'll never forget how hard this game is." It's like I didn't make it. Yeah. I'm never going to look at you guys and expect you to do, you know, to be perfect. Like the game's easy. Yeah. I'll never forget how hard it is. And I think that's one thing that um, players really lose um, trust or confidence or it won't even like a manager. If they feel like they're talking, like the game is easy, you know, why didn't you just hit it the other way? Or why didn't right, you just right, do that? Right. I mean, you don't lose your, that's the fastest way to lose your players is to talk about them and, and treat them like what they're doing. They should just be able to do every time. And it's easy. You know, you make an error in the outfield or something. Um, yeah. He's just, he's great at that. They're, they're really lucky. The entire combination of, you know, from front office down, how this thing's working. Yeah. And that's why, that's why we've talked about it. That's why I do everything I could to not disrupt it. You know, and, and, and we thought when they did, when they lost Freddie, they really made a mistake. They survived that because they've got so many other good guys. But I, I really think that Dansby, and maybe I'll be proven wrong if he doesn't, if he if he doesn't resign. But I really think he's such an important part of this man. I well, see how it he does about his, his business, he his backs it up too. Yeah, you his know, personality. His his personality really is a good fit. He doesn't rub people the wrong way at all. You know, he's kind of a he's kind of a a, a, a 
I mean, you might call him a goody two shoes or whatever back in the day, you know, kind of guy, you know, he's like yep. almost too perfect, yeah. you know, because I mean, he's not going to get in trouble or anything. I mean, he guy doesn't even like cuss, you know, <laughs> yeah. he, he's, yeah. he's like a legit Christian and all that, you know, it's just how, it's how he treats people, you know, it's how you he's treat people. He's such a good guy, you know, you know, and he's like impossibly good looking. So the other guys must look at him and go, okay, what's this guy, man? You know, but he doesn't, he, he doesn't rub anybody the wrong way. Cause he doesn't put it in anybody's face, you know, just does his thing. And then he steps up and fuck, hits a huge home run. It's like, you know, that's how I need to be. You know, you, yeah. you, you take that from him. And he doesn't show off afterwards. He doesn't talk about it afterwards. He still deflects to other guys on the team and everything. Says I was lucky to run with it. So I just think that they've got a really good mix of guys. And, uh, and, and man, the window's there for them to do to make some history. Yeah. yeah it really man. is. And, 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 and we didn't even talk about the huge part of this. Strider, there's a good chance. And, they, and for them, for Alex to concede, there's a good chance. And Snit to say, you know, he feels a lot better tells me there's almost it's it's more much more likely than not he's going to be ready for the LDS cuz or the uh, the uh yeah the division series cuz well, especially not, being able to push him back you know not have him start huge. two or three you could you could even count on him in game 4 yeah right and not needing him for wild card series to get past that you know so that was big and not needing those other two guys ahead of him so yeah they can push him back give him extra days cuz he just threw for the first time a few days ago flat ground Felt yeah. really good. So probably today, I would think he's throwing off the mound. Throw off the mound. He'll he'll need to get some kind of sim game in and face hitters where your uh-huh. you know your effort level just naturally jumps up against hitters. He'll need to see a hitter in the box. But I mean, they have time. Yeah. So if he has if he throws a couple of live BPs and they don't use him till the third game, there's two games. There's Tuesday, Wednesday, then travel day. They wouldn't need him till Friday if they pitch yep. him a game Friday or Saturday if they waited on game four. So. Yep. That's uh, that's another week and a half. Yeah, that's enough time. You know, it's it's one thing when it's early in the season or spring training, you have those injuries. But you get in later in the year and you've been thrown for nine months already. It, it comes back pretty quick. It might turn out to be a good thing for his arm, too. Might be, man, because he was up to 135 innings or whatever and through 95 last year. So I think if he has time to throw a couple of live bees. It's like, uh, it's like Kyle told me, man, that would be huge for the team if he comes back. And Kyle said, because I think he's the kind of guy that's going to really thrive in a postseason. I'm like, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> he's shown already that he's not affected by anything as far as pitching in a big environment, big game. I mean, facing top hitters, and he, nothing has faced him. Same thing for, uh, same thing for Michael Harris, obviously. I mean, that that series against the Mets, he's out there coming in, charging, being so aggressive, just like always. Yep. I think he's going to be fine. I like the move the other day, Snit, after pitching him, you know, moving him slowly up. He's hitting third or whatever. I like that Snit dropped him back to the bottom of the order against a tough lefty. He had seen him struggle. He said that's the one thing he struggled at at all, sinker yep. ball or lefty. And they oh, had a yeah. couple of them back-to-back in Miami, so he moved him down to the bottom of the order again. I like that, that he did that to him. That's the toughest, you know, I, there was, I mean, I made a living off throwing those sinkers into lefties, but it's just not, it's not something you build your bat path on, you know, growing up, you're seeing a ball coming into you, but it's, yeah. you know, it's like a righty slider basically, but it's starting from the far left side of the mound. So that's, that's one of the toughest things yeah. for lefties to really get used to hitting. But I mean, with, with Harris, he was getting big hits as soon as he got called up. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, you see those things in guys and, when you're seeing guys that are naturally just clutch and getting big hits and, and I mean, some of them were just 
like yeah. the home run he hit in Seattle. It's like, there's no chance you're doing anything yeah. here. Homer, you know, take the lead. Um, he's, he's just kind of got that gene. It seems like where he's not, there's no situation too big for him. Yeah. Kind of like Andrew, when he came up and hit two home runs in his first world series game. Yeah. He just reminds me so much of Andrew in so many ways. I mean, their personalities are really different, but, uh, Maybe Andrew was more like that when he was young, but as far as playing, just that, just the the, the, the nothing affects him. Both sides of the ball, I'm mean, just just going all out for every ball, never being scared to die for anything. Yeah, uh, just just stepping up, man. We got the clutch gene that my many guys have. Nope. So people think yeah. it's fake, but it's a real thing. So yeah, we're talking about. Uh, um. Mentor after that game the other day said about this this uh, what separated this because he brought it up himself he uh, he we didn't ask him where this one ranked he brought it up he said he said I'm lucky to have been a part of a lot of special seasons and this is by far my favorite because I know how hard it is to win and what we did this year was by far the most impressive thing we've done this is the guy that was part of that bullpen that won the World Series last year yeah and he said well, what games back is crazy. Yeah, against that 101 win team. Yeah, I think those things feel the best. You know, it's like when there's when everybody's doubting you or there's no chance or you're not supposed to win it. Like that game, Brooks Conrad hit that walk off grand slam. Yeah, you know those those kind of things that happen. They feel better than just you know if you're in the game the whole way and you get a two run shot down one. Right, coming back from eight. I still remember that game. But same thing, coming back from ten back in the division. It's like you got to have so much confidence and almost be a little crazy to even believe you can pull it off. And yeah. then when it happens, it's got to feel amazing. Smith said they're all special. They're all hard because this is right up there because there's a team that wanted to run away with it this year. Yeah, This was a heck of a race. He said he, he said he turned to Sal late in the game the other day against the Mets. Or I'm sorry, against the Marlins, the one where they clinched. And he said to Sal, he said, good God, we won 100 games and we're sitting here. My guts are turning and we've got another 2-1 game. I know. He said, no, he said, no, there were no collapses this year. He said it was really two good teams that battled it out till the end, kind of like what we thought going in. He said the Mets have got got a great club. We have a great club. And it wasn't anything but an exciting pennant race. It was. That that was a fun year to watch. Yeah. Since, uh, Dansby said, because Dansby, it was like the most, the happiest I've seen in postgame. Dansby said, What's the, why are you so excited, you know, compared to I mean, it's like he was won the World Series. He goes, because how good we played. He goes, if you extrapolate that out to 162 ever since June 1, I mean, it's like historic. He said, it's unbelievable just how good we played. That's why I hate all the talk about the division and collapse and this and that. I think we just played so incredibly well for the last four months that I think we deserve a little bit of the credit in how well oh, we played. all of it. All of it. There's no, I don't, I don't put any blame. You know, I mean, I guess you could say the Mets had that series in their hands where they only had to win right. one and they got swept, but they swept them. You know, <laughs> Degrom and Scherzer. <laughs> we were talking about that before the series, like shit. Fantastic. You know? Having a great year. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at it like you can't possibly sweep the Mets with Scherzer and Degrom going. I love that. I love what uh, we asked Snit about Odorizzi. Because Odorizzi was like so happy afterwards because I'm so glad I pitched like myself finally, you know, and helped us win it. And Stitt said, uh, oh, he said, unbelievable. He said he did great. 
He said, Granny told him after the fifth inning, he goes, dude, you could still pitch. See, you're a good pitcher. <laughs> said, I know. I'm happy for him. I'm so happy he got that last out in the fifth to get the win. See, I snitted right there thinking, too, Give that he gets that last out in the fifth inning and guy gets the decision. And Snit's talking about that after they clinch the division. Talking about people. Yeah, he's talking about Odorizzi, a guy they picked up at the trade deadline who's kind of stunk about for most of the time for them. And he's talking about him in a post-game locker room after clinching. I mean, it's just, it's, there's, there's not many worse feelings than continuing to go out there and suck when you know you're better than that. Can't figure out what's going on. You know, the day you feel good, you give up a bunch of lucky hits and then you make one bad pitch and give up a homer. You know, yeah. like when things just are not going your way like that. And like I said, I could see it in some of his interviews. Hey, this dude, he he was lost, you know, searching for answers, no confidence. And then you get to pitch in that game, the biggest game he's going to pitch this year, yeah. you know, and and pitch like that. It's like all is forgiven. You can actually celebrate that night and feel good. Like I played a part in this. Right, right. Instead of instead just of, being the dude that came over and sucked and watched yeah. everybody else have fun. Like instead of sitting back and watching, going, they wanted to spite me, not with me, <laughs> not because of me. <laughs> God, I got a World Series ring from the Mets when that runner up, but yeah. that thing means nothing to me compared right. to like, you know, I have a piece of shit uh California League championship ring. You know, it's probably like an eighty dollar ring that we got for that thing. Right. And Odorizzi would have been like that if he'd done nothing. He would have felt like that, but now pitching that game, that ring's always gonna mean something to him if he gets one. So Dansby's pit uh, got him one at bat the next day. It's the only time they've even done this uh, you know, kind of a gimmicky thing to to get him to get because he played and he started not only started but he played all but like three innings the entire year yeah so snit gave him one ab he wanted him in there because he knows how important that's going to be long when you look at it 20 years from now that dark and baseball reference is going to cursive dark it's going to be 162 because yep. he led the majors and not just played all but started all of them he's the only guy in the yep. majors this year that started every game and Olsen is the only other guy I think that played in all 162. Olsen yeah, ended up he playing pinch that hit whole or game. something one time, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he pinched it in the uh, in a Philly game. No, he came in a defensive replacement. In the game he gave off gave him off in Philly, so he came in. But but Olsen played that whole game the other day in, in Florida. The day after they clinched, got a home I too. Believe it, huh? Yeah, that's what guys say. You know, is that that's how you put up numbers is being out there every day. So a lot right. of guys want to do that. So Dansby got in a bat and came out. So he starts 162. Uh, he was second in among major league shortstops in, in uh, Fangrass War, man, behind Lindor. That was it. 11th among he's, all players. That's legit. <laughs> it's, it's too bad he doesn't put up just different offensive numbers. Right. You know, like the higher OPS or something. But I don't know. I just feel like when I watch him, I'm always shocked his numbers aren't even better than, than what yeah. they are. Because I watch him and it feels like – Every big at bat, even if he doesn't get a knock, he hits a ball hard. Yeah, I mean he's just he was crucial to this offense. It's probably it's probably why uh, it feels like his numbers should be even better because what the bad bats you remember are the big ones. And That's all so I remember him doing this year. It's getting big right, hits. and you don't remember all the mundane at bats. You know the first three at bats in a, in a nothing game or a game that's not really being decided yet. You don't remember those at bats. You remember the big ones, and he's so much better than the average player big at bats. That's what um, I, when I think of him, I just think of who he is when the game's on the line, making a big play, making a smart play, you yeah. know, picking a tough backhand in the hole and throwing the guy out like it's nothing. It just seems like the the more pressure that mounts in the game, the better he gets. Austin Riley led the NL with 79 extra base hits this year, and Olsen tied Mookie Betts for second. So the Braves with two of the top three. 
Austin had 79. Olsen had 78 extra base hits. Olsen had Ray's, a good year. They've won, yeah. Yeah. People, he had 34 homers and 103 <laughs> RBIs, man. Yeah. Uh, Braves have only had uh, six, had, had 80 extra base hits from players six times. Most reason was Freddie. 83 in 2016. Um, what else? And oh, what have what have you? Uh, what do you think is going to happen in the uh, in the uh, NL Cy race, man? Cy Young race. I think El Contra's got to get it. I think he does, even though he str- even though he struggled a little bit down the stretch. He's got like 230 innings in a in in a and that. And like 180 is 200 now, the new 200, 175. Yeah. He's got like 30 innings more practically than anybody else. And his ERA should get it. Yeah. And his ERA is still like what, second lowest or something? Who who else could take it from him? I don't really think anybody can. I mean, Freed's going to be up there. I think Freed will be top three. Um, you know, Scherzer had the, had the, IL stint. DeGrom didn't pitch nearly enough games. Gonsolin missed times. He'd be up there. Urias from the Dodgers will be way up there. Yeah. Urias should, will, and should be way up there. Um, but I, yeah, I don't see any of them. I think Alcantara is probably, I don't, in the end, I don't even think it's probably going to be as close as people think. But uh, the only reason it would be even close because he's doing it in Miami. Right. If you ask me, I think right. that, that hurts him. Right. Verlander would be a slam dunk in the AL, even though he had missed yeah. a lot of time. Doesn't even matter. He was just, just disgusting. Awful. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, the uh the MVP race is gonna be interesting. I uh I got MVP vote this year. So and that's much harder than the others because most of them are three deep. Cy Young's five deep. Manager, you just say, you know, that's that's a, we shouldn't even be voting for managers. I don't think that should be the writers. That's a really tough position to put beat writers in anyway, because you know we see our guy every day, and you don't really get to see everything that goes on elsewhere. But uh, the uh, MVP ballot is ten deep, man. So you, if you care about voting, you know, you take a lot of time. To, you you get down to seven, eight, nine. There's a lot of guys that could fit down there, and you feel bad leaving off a couple of them. But we'll see. I put three Braves on mine. People Did you? Be, yeah, people can be surprised at how high I had that the one that I had the highest. But uh but uh I went with uh I went with Goldie. I thought Goldie he really fell off in September, but his numbers are still yeah, were so great for four and a half months that I think he still deserved it. I did Goldie over Freddie. I had Freddie second though. Freddie finished so strong that I ended up putting him second. I had him ahead of uh Arenado and uh and uh Machado. Machado if Machado hadn't gotten hurt, and he played hurt, yeah. to his credit, he played hurt for about a month. It really hurt his numbers. But he was had a hell of a year, carried that offense when Tatis, you know, obviously shit all over himself and, and, and the team in the process. I looked up Freddie. Uh, well, I looked up, you know, the NL just offensive numbers, and you clicked on any category Freddie was top three. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just had, quietly had an incredible year. Yep. After yeah, he had a he had a season over there in LA. And to do that, playing in the pressure that he had, you know, whether it was part of it was self-induced, whatever, and the emotion, all the emotions of that early on when he was getting ripped for being so emotional about his ties to the Braves, to really to have a season in in, in LA and that uh 
in that fishbowl with those big crowds, that's pretty impressive what he's done. Just his approach. I mean, I feel like Freddie could roll out of bed and hit 300, you know. Truly. I mean, he, yeah. Truly. One of the only guys could do that could. He's right. He could go old school and just show up from a hunting trip when spring training starts and just start hitting. Like, he's just born to hit. His swing, it's so compact. And then, then you throw him in that lineup, you know. I mean, he's yeah. a hell of a player. <laughs> It's going to be – if they get matched up against the uh, Dodgers, oh, oh my God. I'm oh going to be God. watching Freddie's at-bats really close because I want to see what he does in that series. I, uh, Yeah. Yeah, he's like Chipper, man. Chipper, I always, Chipper was the other guy that truly could roll out of bed and hit 300. When he was yep. young and healthy, he could do nothing in the offseason, and I know he could hit 300. <laughs> play baseball it's crazy to think about that now that guys used to do that because these dudes are working out they start throwing and working out and hitting in november to show up like february 12th (laughs) haven't even touched a bat yet right chipper's hunting all all off season man he ain't going in gym yeah i remember gary sheffield when i was covering with the marlins there used to be that date everybody shows up now uh before pitchers and catchers a lot most of the guys show up so early yeah and then uh, um, position player reporting day, everybody's there, right? And if you're not, it's like a big deal. He's like two days late. Why isn't he here? You know, and I, that's not even the actual date they have to be there, as you right. know, as a player. There's that much later date that's like March 1st that you actually yep. have to be there before they can like start finding you. Well, there were guys like Pedro Martinez that showed up on that day. They spent their offseason in Roman Dominican. They showed up that day and they, they yep. were fine. Gary Sheffield did that a couple times with the Marlins. Showed up on the actual last day you could get there, and then went out and raked. But yep. early reporting and all that, and the first two weeks you're spent doing for the, you know, now it's only like a week before you start the game, so you couldn't do that as much now. But uh, things have changed, man. These guys show up nowadays, and you check them, and you're looking at them, going, "Oh, he's ready to go." I mean, they're chiseled when they get there. Yep, they get yeah, in better I mean- shape in the off season. Yeah, guys used to use spring training to get in shape, show yeah. up with a little gut, like, oh, it'll be off by April 1st. Yeah. <laughs> show up with a boiler, you're a pitcher, you got to work it off. I'd do it just to get out of the, you know, I'd be up in the Northwest, so it's just, a, you know, terrible weather for for baseball. And you go down to Arizona, it's 72 and sunny. Yeah. You know, or you go down to Florida. But guys that had good setups, you know, it, it's just everybody has a different routine. I don't see anybody doing it now, though. It seems like everybody's there. If you show up on report day, you're late, it feels like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you show up a little overweight, it, everybody writes about it. Yeah. Post pictures about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spring training is so stupid. There's always some guy that did, you know, some crazy new CrossFit program. And he has a good spring training because he's hitting off the double A guy in the seventh inning. And, you know, everybody gets all excited. It's like, nah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he every still year, sucks at baseball. It's every the same year. story every year. Yeah, I finally stopped years ago, like caring about the the, the fence. How people show up, or, or the non roster invitee who fight, hits five home runs, you know, in the first twelve games or whatever, off a guy that you know is going to spend the year in a ball. You know, yep. the numbers that people put up early on, they're like, "You think he's going to make the roster?" They're like, "You think he's going to make the roster? How can he not make the roster?" I'm like, "He's pitching against guys that are going to be in a ball. Yep. The real major league pitchers are not are not even pitching more than an inning or two right now." Yep. You know, it's same and story every year, and they're not even making road trips. Guys do it, you know. Uh, where the team comes in, like a really good team comes into your place, Northport or whatever. You don't recognize a single guy. And the guys are lighting them up. It's like none of their real guys are here, man. Yep. They're facing their minor leaguers. 
<laughs> yep. Yeah. So only a few guys can really, I mean, for me still do that just because of how ready everybody shows up, but yeah. Freddie Chipper, those guys could just, I mean, roll out of bed and hit 300. Speaking of spring training, man, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, they really took, they took some damage down there from the flood and the hurricane. That's what I heard. Yeah. Damage millions. That's all I was told is millions. But from what I understand, they had like three feet of water in the clubhouses. Ooh. They're going to have to do all that. Rip it all out. Drywall, all that. And they also had some huge air conditioning units on the roofs, right? The winds were so strong, it ripped a couple of those off, the bolts, huge bolts. All the water went down in those. So you had all kinds of ceilings, drywall, all kinds of all that kind of shit that has to come be. And the place was like practically new. I mean, you know, that sucks. So, but it was, yeah. And the dugouts were like six feet of water in the dugouts. Floods are the worst, man. Yeah. Trying to dry all that out and rip everything out and replace it. So that's what they had mostly. It was mostly, but they also had some wind. Like they have, they have a huge sign there at, uh, what is it? Uh, cool today park. I get them confused. One of them's AAA in the ballpark and they're real similar names, but the big sponsor sign down that's on top of the scoreboard down at, uh, Northport. Ripped off. The winds blew it off, and they did. They couldn't even find the sign on the property. <laughs> they don't even know where it blew to. That's how strong the winds were for a while. <laughs> Luckily, they've been uh, batteries been pretty good to them. They'll be able to, yeah, you know, yeah. Insurance will pay a lot of that stuff, yeah. obviously. But uh, but yeah, so I'm interested to see if they have it all ready. But they'll have it ready. Obviously, the fields will be most important. I'll have that ready in the clubhouse when we get there. But um, man, they haven't had a normal spring training yet since they opened that place. So I mean, they were all excited because you know th- this year they're gonna have a normal spring training and everything. Yeah, and they got the. Lockout. Yeah, because the first year it got banged halfway through or, you know, a little over halfway through because of the pandemic hit. Next year, they couldn't have uh, crowds where they had the the attendance uh, ceilings on it because they had to have spacing and all that. So they haven't had a normal off-season, normal spring training there. So they're looking at, you know, filling the place up and making some money, the people that operate that thing down there. So, And now this year – you got so many people down there. Houses are, oh yeah, in Northport and Venice, where a lot of their fans are. There are a lot of houses destroyed down there on the beach, man, or wrecked. So, I mean, a lot of people were spending their money on other things this spring, I would imagine. But anyway, all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll do another of these early next week, probably before uh, the Braves open. We'll know who they we'll know who they play either either Saturday night or Sunday, depending on how long how many games that series goes. So I'm sure everybody will be watching. But uh, And then we'll have a good idea Monday probably on uh, whether Strider's going to be ready when they put together the roster. But I don't think the Braves will announce their roster probably until Tuesday before the thing, but they'll formulate that thing on Monday. You think the Braves will get prime times for the playoffs? With the Dodgers, Yankees in it, you know, probably no, not first round. World Series, you know. They will obviously the for the – champs. They will obviously for the uh, – LCS, Dodgers. But I don't know about that first round, man. They're still going to go Dodgers. Well, I bet that that Yankees, Dodgers. Yeah, Braves Cardinals probably isn't getting the same. No. Yeah, Braves Phillies. Yeah, it should. Braves are are a marquee team now. It's just nobody's getting it over the Dodgers and the Yankees. And it'd be, you know, the Dodgers most likely playing the Mets. You got New York, L.A. Yeah, the Mets, exactly. Markets. 
So, but there is no Chicago in it. I don't uh, mind it at home. You know, I, just, I think about it as a player, I wouldn't want to be playing at noon or one o'clock. Well, or, the Braves have sucked in day games this year, man. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Maybe that changes in a playoffs because everybody's going to be wired and ready when a game starts in the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's a little different. In the a little playoffs. different, right? A little different. in the crowd, you know. I mean, the crowd oh, yeah. energy in the playoffs exactly wake you up. Yeah. All right, we'll do it again Monday. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it. Here we go. Postseason. Seven fifty-five is real. Mm-hmm.